Endings are notoriously difficult to pull off well. That's why it helps to have a main character named Ender. Trust me, this logic checks out. Follow along as our protagonist's journey takes him from the peak of battle school to the trenches of command training. Meet Ender's new frenemy, who will put him through his final paces and prepare him to face the buggers in a final confrontation in a story that's probably required reading for Space Force cadets. Come along for the thrilling conclusion of Ender's Game on Reliterated, the podcast that sounds the same with or without gravity. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of three grown-ass men reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020s hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. Also, we talk about our books in depth, and that includes spoilers. So before you listen, if you're not familiar with the story, be prepared to be spoiled. You can interact with us and enjoy all kinds of bonus content by searching Reliterated on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, and Facebook. Or you can ask us questions, suggest future episodes, or tell us what we've missed by sending us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. My name's Andy, and I am back here with Harold and Josh. Yes, we missed you greatly in the last week, Andy. It's been so long since we spoke last. I know. I feel like I've I have neglected my family. I'm just amazed that it was like a like a week and a half long date. <laughs> well, these things do not come up very frequently, so you uh, you make the best out of out of the situations as they come. Make the most of it. So, what was it like going on a date in the pandemics? You know, in Michigan, like. All over the place, people are not so concerned about the pandemic anymore, but I think we have less reason to be concerned here because our vaccination rates are higher, uh, because our our governor has made us uh, be better about the pandemic, and a lot of people complain about it, but uh, it's the unpopular decision to do the right thing, and you know, I supported it for the most part, uh, but... Um, by and large, people are back to uh, to business as it was before. Yeah, it's pretty much just, I mean, it doesn't feel any different than it did before the pandemic started at this point. Whereas I had to start wearing a mask at work again this week. Thanks, CDC. <laughs> uh, and your whole state is on fire. Man, and my it is state's just, on fire. It is a bad time to be a Californian. And there's a recall for our governor. <laughs> oh man, they got that going. Oh, we got some. We got some wacky candidates too. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you want to have fun? Look at look at all the people that are running for for governor this time. We and got a wow. pretty wacky candidate coming up uh, for the Republican side. He, I saw a little bit of him, and of course, he was spewing the rhetoric of "We need to save our republic and we need to get back to the Constitution." And I, I, I really want to try and get in on a town hall and ask him what specifically about the Constitution. Like, <laughs> I know some things about the Constitution. So tell, tell me, what is it about it that you want to get back to that we aren't part of at this point right now? Where exactly have we strayed, sir? Yeah. Are, are you just saying that because people that have no idea what they're talking about, rabble, 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 whenever somebody says constitution. Because I think that's what's actually going on. 
Did you happen to see uh, my hero of the week appear on a uh, Colin show with Rand Paul? I did not. Who's your hero no. of the week? Oh, uh, so apparently they were calling people that to ask questions to the senator, and she's she they gave her the mic, and she was like, "As a proud Kentuckian, I'd like to tell you to get fucked." <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look that up. It'll it'll bring a. Bring a smile to your face. Did me. Uh, ma'am, that, that wasn't a question. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> nope, but it was her freedom of speech and you can't <laughs> deny it or you're a communist. So that's what I love about it. <laughs> Don't be hypocrites now, Republicans. She can say uh, that. Man. Freedom of speech. Uh, Are you a commie? <laughs> <laughs> she must have lost some folks to COVID. Like people who have lost people. They they get it right, and they're they're sick of they're probably the most sick of uh, of all the shit that uh, gets stirred up by the I don't want is. You know, it's one of those things where it's like the whole thing is about helping your fellow countrymen, and the moment that people are asked to do that. They suddenly become like, oh, you're infringing on my freedoms. It's like, no, no, no. This is something we need to do to help each other so that we don't all fucking die. But hey, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, some people I'll listen to facts. take a bullet for my country, but will you yep. take a needle for your neighbor? Right. <laughs> some people listen to facts. Some people think opinions are facts. And other people believe that modern medicine is the reason that people are dying. I heard someone say that the other day. They said, you know, in the Bible, people used to live to be 300 years old or more. But the problem is with modern medicine, it's really cut our lifespans back. And I'm like, is that a historical fact? Do you have documentation? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Prove it. Show me Abraham's uh, birth certificate. Right. Right. I bet you it shows he's from Kenya. Maybe they were just bad at timekeeping. <laughs> Probably it. Where's the long form birth certificate, Methuselah? <laughs> Anyways, we're we were just discussing doing things for the greater good, and uh, here we return to the discussion on a similar story of a young boy called to do just that, Ender's Game, by homophobe McSanctimony over there. Absolutely. Mr. McRacist, I found out also. Thanks <laughs> Mr. For posting oh, racist as well. Thanks Man. for posting well, I mean, that link, Andy. It's on Reddit. You guys can all go and read it. It's a oh, nice little think think piece about about this gentleman. By gentleman, I mean piece of shit. Oh, right. No, not racist, big, bigot. I'm like, what? What link did I? Uh... <laughs> oh no, they said in the in the article he's also a racist. So, oh, okay. oh goodness! I was like, "Oh, great!" So he checks all the boxes of being a piece of shit. Okay, <laughs> put that up on the wall. Roll down. Orson Scott card. Got it. Oh yeah, he's going up on our hall of shame. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it almost says something that people that are personally pieces of shit write such good books. <laughs> well, they they have to use their imaginations to come up with reasons why certain people are. Uh, are bad or undesirable or, you know, not right somehow. And that exercise their imagination gets sometimes translates into some very creative writing. I guess so. I mean, that's that's a good explanation. Good as explanation as I think we're going to get. <laughs> but then we should have all kinds of like great Republican writers at this point. You know, I think it's just an <laughs> accident sometimes. <laughs> 
Yeah, people stumble into uh, things that resemble greatness all the time. I mean, just look at our last president. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, I know you wanted to talk about, uh, before we got into Ender's Game, you wanted to bring up like what games have we been playing lately because Ender's Game is all about playing different games to test your will and your intelligence. And Now, I know, but what have you been playing lately, Andy? I think I can guess because I've seen your name pop up on the Xbox here and there. Well, Andy's game lately <laughs> uh, I've been playing a lot of Mass Effect the uh, re-released uh, remastered legendary edition of the games played through one and two uh, found myself making all the uh, the choices I made previously I can't bring myself to uh, make new choices in the story but uh, currently I'm kind of I'm taking a break from Mass Effect and hopped over to the PlayStation and I've been playing some Horizon Zero Dawn they uh, recently gave out the complete edition of the game for free. Okay. Nice nice guys that PlayStation are. So, yeah, that is a beautiful game. It's got it's got some Mass Effect type uh conversation stuff to it as well, but uh, a lot of uh resource gathering, sneaking around and hunting stuff and good old action. Very neat. I uh I had been for the last few months playing a lot of Daisy. Uh for some reason I like games that are essentially suffering simulators uh, that (laughs) require you to do a lot to be able to survive. Survival is the main point of the game. The other parts are the actual action and fun that comes in normal games. There's no real story to it. It's basically you make your own story. You're just out there trying to live. And it got to a point where uh, Daisy wasn't making me suffer enough. So I recently picked up Rust and uh, that game. You want to talk about a game that makes you suffer. It, <laughs> like I started well, I mean, playing the most other of, night. Most of your playing on DayZ has been on a uh, server where you just literally give yourself everything <gasps> to survive with. Oh, huh? I did that. And then I, I also recently made it harder again because everybody in the server agreed that we needed to we needed to make it harder. We needed to get back to basics a little bit and make it harder. So we have vehicles, but it's harder to find stuff and things are actually rare now. Do you still have big uh, sleuths of bears roaming around? Yeah. Yes, there are still Excellent. sleuths of bears up to <laughs> yes. up to eight bears, Excellent. up to eight grizzly bears. Yes. Upwards of eight bears. Yes. A sleuth. Fantastic. <laughs> and I also removed like in the cars, they don't start with a bunch of gear anymore. It just starts with everything you need to start the car and a pistol. So now when people get to them, they're not just getting everything anymore. So it's it's actually going over pretty well. I've had a lot more people playing recently and people are kind of enjoying it. They're wanting to start a trader store. I haven't even really been playing. I've just been managing it at this point for a little while. So I've had people donating to it. So I'm not even paying for the server anymore at this point, huh. which is cool. Awesome. Cool, cool. And I'm willing to manage it because I like playing it, so I'll I'll jump back into it. But Rust, uh, I started that the other night, and you start out naked with a rock and a torch. And I started running around. It doesn't tell you what you need to do. It explains absolutely nothing. So the first thing I did is I got killed by a boar, and then I respawned. And the second I respawned, a wolf was right at the spawn point, and it killed me. And then I ran over a hill. I finally found myself enough stuff to make myself a stone axe. I go running down this area. I see a person. I say, hey, I'm just a brand new guy. I'm not. And boom, he shot me. (laughs) So it's basically 
Uh, it took forever for me to figure out what I was doing, but once I did, now I'm, I've kind of got the hang of it and I've been so far able to keep myself alive. And I have some other people I play games with that, uh, have been playing it for a while and they're kind of showing me the ropes, but I started onto another server where I'm alone. Cause I want to, I want to do that solo life and figure things out for myself. It's, I enjoy that about games, having to think for myself and create my own way in the world. Awesome. Not just survive, but sur-thrive. Absolutely. What's Josh's game? I'm pretty opposite of that. I like uh, being told exactly what to do and where to go. Um, <laughs> I've been playing uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 online. Uh, it's still my game. I still love it. I've, I took a nice little break from it, but now that we got this new Outlaw Pass, I've been playing pretty much every day, doing at least a couple dailies, and uh, at one point... Before they changed the daily system, I had over 400 uh, days of dailies in a row because of the pandemic and being antisocial. So uh, it's not hard for me to just do a few dailies, get on there. But I like I like that the universe will tell me when I should be done playing a game. Uh, for instance, yesterday I was playing and there's a very easy challenge where you can sedate these animals, get a sample, and then you revive them. And if you did that for two animals, you would get the extra gold that you get for doing daily challenges. So the first one I tried to kill uh, was a uh, muskrat, which ran into the water and drowned. And that's also what happened to the second animal because it was also a muskrat. So yeah, they both ran into the water and drowned. And then when I was trying to kill this pronghorn, or not kill, but sedate this pronghorn, I had I got the sedation done, and just as it was about to go down, it gets to the edge of the cliff and falls off the cliff. <laughs> it fell down about 20 feet. And I was like, okay, this game does not want me to get this achievement. I am done with it for now. So that is the game I've been playing. It's just Red Dead. I know it's been out for forever, but I still like it. And occasionally I'll play Wreckfest and Dirt, but not nearly as much as I've been playing Red Dead. You should come play Rust with me. Again, not a fan of those types of games. <laughs> so someday we will all three find a game that we're enthusiastic about playing together again. Don't know what it'll be. I mean, this all started with us playing Grand Theft Auto for seven years together. <laughs> yeah, the three of us bonded over Grand Theft Auto Five. There is a new co- there's new content, Andy. Uh, yeah, it's just cartooning shit. It doesn't yeah, but look it's something to do. Uh. Yeah, no, it's it. There's cartooning stuff, and then there's actually. So I bought the vehicle shop, and there are jobs to do to earn money. Like you can go and basically a setup to like rob a bunch of banks. It kind of looks cool. I want to try it out. I definitely want to try it out. So it's within the free roam world, and it it looks neat. Okay, well, I can come back to GTA Five for a bit sometime soon. But let's get done what we came here to do. Yeah, what is Ender's Game? Yeah, what's Ender's Game? Well, Ender's Game is zero-G laser tag. That actually sounds like a really fun game. It does make it sound fun, doesn't it? But it's a serious business here. It is serious business to to the kids to the uh, the officers, to the whole human race, that these kids get good at playing zero-G laser tag. And what has just happened in the story is uh, Ender got traded away from Bonso Madrid's uh, Salamander Army, and he is now a member of Rat Army. 
and we begin chapter eight with a discussion between Colonel Graff and Major Anderson talking about how they are purposely uh, going to make everything as difficult as possible for Ender. Now, Graff wants to do this because specifically making things more difficult for Ender will bring his genius out. It will make him have to think outside the box to to beat his opponent. Anderson doesn't like that because all this time the games have been structured, they've been fair, and people know what to expect. And now they're going to be throwing wrenches into that. And Anderson Anderson hates that because he believes in the game for training these kids. And not only that, uh, he recognizes that for, for all these kids, it's become status, identity, purpose, name. All that makes these children who they are comes out of this game. And Graf is going to use it to put all his faith in one child to become uh, the best, the the leader of the human armies against the buggers, and it's going to be at the expense of the fairness of the games. Boo-hoo, Major Anderson, boo-hoo. And I think at the end of the day, what Graf kind of hopes his endgame is that there won't be any need for this specific game anymore if Ender becomes who he needs him to become. Right. But in order for that to happen, he's got to be put into impossible scenarios and just figure it out, think on his feet and not get any help whatsoever, which is a very logical thing to expect of a, was he seven <laughs> right yeah, now? Yeah, seven. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely old enough for it. Now, Rat Army is, they're not happy per se to have Ender but they're a little bit more accepting of him and they don't want to just have him set off to the side. They they recognize how wasteful it is to not at least use him even if he isn't experienced. Yeah, plus Red is entirely different than, than the original that he was with because before Salamander was very structured, very rigid, like, and uh, Bonzo had had everyone in line, whereas Rat is more kind of willy-nilly, do what you want, just make sure you're you're where you're supposed to be at the time. I mean, when we meet the commander, he's wearing nothing but his desk, so essentially he's naked. <laughs> yep, Rose the Nose is the commander of Rat Army, and he lets his tunes... And it's funny because I, I, I don't know if we covered this in one of the other episodes. I don't believe we did. But I, I kept hearing him say tunes, tunes, tunes. And I thought they were saying tomb, tombs. Tombs? Like a yeah. like a grave? Yeah, yeah. But then I saw it was tunes. Yeah, tunes, T-O-O-N. Yeah. Like short for platoon. And Yeah, and I, I realized it was short for platoon. Yep. Now, Dink is the head of one of these tunes. And in Rat Army, each of the, each of the tunes kind of take their own action. They have to all end up with the same goal, but the fact that they're all doing their own thing throws off the other army that they're up against. Right. This is kind of the difference between Rose the Nose and Bonzo is that Bonzo is very micromanager over everybody in the army, but uh, Rose is very hands-off and lets the tune leaders uh, run things for him on, for the most part. And Dink Meeker is uh, the tune leader that is now in charge of Ender. And he, see, he sees potential in him, but he wants him to get trained up because at this point he knows he's only been training with Petra and she can shoot, but not much else. 
And Dink is kind of coming to a point where he feels like the games are just games. Uh, he's not sure the buggers are actually a threat. He doesn't really care so much about the school anymore because he's just it's just the same thing over and over again. Right. He has a conversation with Ender like after their their first battle. And Dink's just kind of floating around in the in the zero G kind of hanging back from uh, all the rest of the of the squad and uh, Ender hangs back with him and Dink has a big conversation with him about how basically how it's all bullshit. He kind of, he kind of has a conspiracy theory that even the buggers aren't real, but it kind of puts uh doubt in, in Ender's mind about the, uh, about the officers and how, I mean, Ender was already kind of suspecting that the, uh, the officers are the, the teachers are the enemy uh, here, or maybe even a bigger enemy than the, the buggers, but Dink is pretty much convinced but in any case, Ender knows he wants to continue to practice. He wants to get good because he's got this drive to become the best because he he knows at the end of the day that if it's real, they are all relying on him. He kind of gets that feeling. The only way out is up. Yep. So he starts uh, he starts informal practices during his free time and it starts growing. People start coming to it. He lets launchies practice with him and other armies, uh, people from other armies can practice. And over time, they like all start to, to bond a little bit too. Which of course draws the ire of some of the older students because instead of being good or getting better, they would rather be pissed that some kid is gaining attention, uh, gaining followers, and getting better and better at playing the game than they are. And so instead of getting better, they just decide that they're going to attack them and try and scare him or beat him up at some point. And they kind of leave us with with that's basically the day-to-day with Ender and his his army at this point. And we take a take kind of a little break from Ender and what's going on in the battle school and we f- learn a little bit about what Peter and why can't I remember his sister's name off the top of my head? <laughs> Valentine. Valentine. Peter and Valentine are doing back on Earth because again there's something about these Wigan kids. Uh, I I feel like there was genetic manipulation. They don't ever really say what it is, but there's a reason that they wanted the Wiggins to have three kids. And there's a reason that they specifically are trying to train these three kids and they're relying so heavily on them. So I feel like there's some kind of genetic factor to it, but Valentine and Peter, though they didn't have the personality to lead the military like they, like Ender does, they are still extremely smart and tactical and very insightful. Very to, insightful, yes. Yeah, to like human behavior. Uh, they know their their history. They're very keen observers of uh, of human behavior. But Peter's uh, character has been kind of developing where he's not he's not quite so vicious to uh to his sister so much anymore but he's like going out into the woods and pinning down squirrels and skinning them alive and like he he puts on a very a very good child face uh in school and everything and uh their parents think that he's a he's a changed boy he's a he's a new peter but val knows she sees right through it he's uh just as cruel as ever yeah, he's kind of got those psychopathic tendencies. Almost, I mean, that's that's serial killer stuff. 
uh, torturing small animals, which I was surprised. It's surprising to see him not like furthering on in that. I, not to say that everyone who kills or does some fucked up shit to, to small animals is going to become a serial killer, but essentially all serial killers tortured and <laughs> did fucked up shit to small animals at some point in their life. <laughs> right. Josh, have you ever done any fucked up shit to small animals? No, I, I, I love animals, so I would never do anything bad to any of them. I love animals. I wouldn't say I did fucked up shit to small animals, but I did kill small animals when I was a kid with like my BB gun. And I, but I will say this, the, the ones that I actually hit, like I, rarely did we my brother or i hit an animal we'd shoot at them we'd miss they'd run away whatever but i i shot a few different birds and uh a couple of squirrels and chipmunks and every time i felt immediate remorse for having done it and wondered why i did it because i wasn't going to eat it i just killed it for no reason and so that's actually probably part of the reason that first off I stopped killing the small animals and second I uh I don't never really had any interest in becoming a hunter. I mean, I kind of do now. I'd like to hunt, but it's more for the I'd like to get meat to put in the the freezer, but when it wasn't me having a family, I had no real interest in going out hunting because I just didn't I guess I didn't want to kill an animal. Right. I've never had the the urge to go to go kill an animal. I mean, I know that it's necessary for animals to die for me to get meat, but I never wanted to be the one to to do the killing. Uh and I don't know. I just I don't get into the the whole hunter culture because I know it's not all about killing animals for meat and it's not all about like responsible uh population control of <laughs> Of culling the herd or whatever. At I mean, its best, it is for deer. It is at its best, right? But I'm I'm not of the mentality to go out there and have a dick measuring contest about how big an animal I can kill. You know, right? Or how many now, horns the deer I shoot has, or whatever. See now, like my uncle Mike, he he likes to you know get big deer and have the the antlers and all that, and that's important to him, but. Like he is definitely like he would be the person I would look look to to be uh, the hunter that I would want to be. He he cares about the nature. He is definitely shooting the animal because it calls the herd. He fills his freezer with food and the upside to it is he gets the trophy as well. So he's not just killing a deer for the trophy and then tossing the rest of it. It's just he won't take any animal that walks across his his sight line. It's got to be one that he's he wants to keep. So I mean, if if I had to look to somebody, you know, there are others I see that go out and they're just like, "Hey, first deer that walks across my path, I'm shooting it, and I'm going to shoot the next one, and I'm going to shoot the <laughs> next one, and my tags are full, and I'm done." You know. Right. You know, that's not it. But but even then, a lot of times that's for filling your table. I mean, yes, there are there are just the trophy hunters or, or people that aren't the greatest. But most of the hunters I know in my family or Shiloh's family are definitely out there not not doing it with just because they want to just kill an animal. It's a tradition. It's it's food. So, I mean, I, I see both sides of, of what you're saying. I right. mean, and it's it's bonding with your fellow hunters at deer camp you right, get to right go to the cabin and get drunk together and pull each other off and <laughs> <laughs> that's only whatever certain whatever people. you guys do up there yeah 
<laughs> well, we drink, play cards, shoot the bull, but never shoot no deer, according to the song. So, <laughs> I mean, I do buy my meat from the store so that no animal has to be hurt, you know, because that's oh, definitely... it still hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen there was something I watched or some meme I saw where this girl's like, I can't believe you'd kill that animal. Why don't you just buy it from the store where so no animals are hurt? They're like, mm. <laughs> Do I tell no her? One no one taught you about the food her. chain of humanity. I don't think you understand. <laughs> now, I did uh, kill a rodent, a uh, large rodent. Or, I don't know, is that <laughs> a rodent? There. Yeah, yes, Josh was there. Oh, man. Yeah, it is yeah. A I, rodent. Yep, it was fucking up my yard, and I actually snared it and then killed it in the backyard, and I felt terrible the whole time. But at the same time, it was him or me. That's how I looked at it. <laughs> it, was, it was him or me. It was coming right at you. It, it was, wasn't it, Josh? your big toe off. I mean, you snared it. I was, yeah, yeah. First off, when you snared it, you're like, I snared it. Holy shit, I snared it. And I was like, yeah, you did. Good job there, bud. <laughs> He's like, now you got to kill it. And I was like. Now step two. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've it. asked uh, all, all of these people that I'm talking about that are hunters, I've asked, have you ever snared an animal? And none of them have ever snared an animal. So me, a non-hunter, I am the only person <laughs> I know that has actually snared an animal. Nice. All those episodes of Naked and Afraid paying off. Yep, it was all. I learned it from <laughs> Naked and Afraid. TV teaches you some stuff. I just wanted to notate also, uh, deer are a major problem in my home county. So I'm all for people hunting, especially because I know more people that get deer with their cars than they do with their gun. Oh, yeah. That's an issue. Yeah. Yeah, and the deer population in Michigan actually, if it gets too large, it spreads disease among the animals and it can kill other animals. So it, it definitely is a conservation measure to hunt. Now, at the same time, I was reading something that said if everybody suddenly started hunting, there wouldn't be enough animals to sustain everybody. So we still need people to not hunt and just eat meat from the store. First off, that calls the amount of cows that are around. But if everybody were to switch to hunting, there wouldn't be enough deer to feed everybody. So it's a it's a balance. I mean, humans are we're part of the food chain and uh, our creation of tools and ability to hunt animals is why we are where we are today. So number one, baby. Woo. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely more to it. And it's not just, you know, if someone's a hunter, they're just automatically bad. I like I say I want to I want to go hunting. I actually have gained the urge in the last couple of years, but apparently at 37 years old in the state of Michigan, I cannot get a hunting license until I've taken hunter's safety with a bunch of 10-year-olds. That's when I took it. <laughs> yeah. Man, well you just do a Sam Gribbley and buy some land and whatever you do is nice and legal. I can legally carry a handgun on me <laughs> in public, but I cannot fucking shoot a deer in the woods. <laughs> so anyway, let's get back to Peter and Valentine. Yes. So yes, Peter and Valentine want to manipulate the world. Well, Peter does. Peter Peter does, yeah. He's asking for Valentine's help because he he knows he can do it. He's been like monitoring Soviet troop movements and seeing that they're they're preparing for something. In his mind, it's they're acting out of uh foresight for the uh for whenever the the war against the buggers is over then they're going to uh move and try to to break up this warsaw pact thing they've got going or this 
international treaty thing, whatever. I don't know. The, the world building here is a little bit hard to, un, hard to, to grasp here, but uh, Russia is going to make moves. This, this book was written in the big time Cold War of the early 80s, uh, where, where Russia is always the, the bad guy. I think the overall concept is that the only thing holding the whole world together in this in this kind of peace that they have is the bugger threat. Is the common once, enemy of the human yeah. race, yeah. Once that common enemy is gone, they're going to go right back to being enemies with each other. And Peter sees that. Valentine understands it when Peter calls it out. Or she sees it, but she doesn't call it out. And when he calls it out, she's like, yeah, you're right. So they basically want to do their part at this point. And Peter probably more for selfish reasons at, at the start of it. Uh, and Valentine more because she's going to do what Peter asks her to do. But they want to make sure that when everything hits the fan, when the bugger threat is gone, that there's a power to step in immediately and fill that void of a missing enemy. So their plan is to start posting comments on Facebook, Facebook, essentially. Yeah, they start posting comments on Facebook. And uh, (laughs) this is, it's crazy that uh, Orson Scott homophobe foresaw just how uh, influential a a worldwide communication network uh, is going to be in deciding uh, leadership or like world politics, whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it's basically social media. They, they talk about being on the net and they have a uh, persona on the net. They have the anonymity where it's not Peter and Valentine. They actually come out as Locke. Peter is someone named Locke and Valentine uh, calls herself Demosthenes. And they basically, they kind of like argue back and forth with each other. Now, I probably should have looked up because Locke and Demosthenes are both like philosophers, I I gather. Okay. But I did not think to research uh, what what the real uh, personas behind these names actually were about. Yeah. Okay. So I know of John Locke. So that makes sense. John Locke was an English <laughs> philosopher, not the same John Locke from Lost. Not the one okay, from Lost. I thought you, I no, thought no, you were John Locke. About Locke from Lost. He was no, a philosopher no. with with a scar on his face who was uh, paralyzed yeah. for <laughs> for a time, but when he came to the island, he could walk again. Nope. John Locke was an English philosopher, and I'm assuming that Demosthenes was a Greek or Roman philosopher. I'd... He was a Greek statesman and orator of ancient Athens. Okay, yeah. So influential people in history with influential ideas. But they take on these personas and they start, they're not always with each other. They kind of go back and forth at each other. And some people will back up Demosthenes and some people will back up Lot. Now, the strategy with uh, Demosthenes was supposed to be like the belligerent anti-Russia, like paranoid nationalist, uh, (laughs) uh, we should beat the Russians back kind of rabble rouser. A real proud person, would you say? I would say so, yeah. Hmm. So, and that, and that's <laughs> that would uh, never work. That's a strategy that never would ever work. Right now, now that that is taken on by Valentine, Populism. who is actually the more empathetic of the two. And then, like you're going with Locke, is the more well-rounded, even-tempered, middle of the road, sensible person. And that's taken on by Peter, who you know, realistically in real life, is kind of a psycho. 
But they definitely pick up fast. People like them. Yeah, they gain more and more attention all over the world, all over the networks, just just by posting on forums. I mean, I'm I'm wasting time not posting political commentary on Facebook right now. I could be ruling the world with the right words at the right time. I tried. If you say anything intelligent, people just get mad and start talking about their opinions. <laughs> it's not worth it. I yeah, just see, stopped no, that's posting. Because, that's because you're using your beliefs and your words and like sensible, logical words. Their strategy, Val and Peter's strategy, you have to be able to say what people want to hear. Give them something that they can agree with and get behind. And, you know, you play with their fears a little bit. You know, you, uh, you, you rouse up their, their patriotism, their, their senses of, uh, I don't know, rightness of uh, exceptionalism, I suppose. Yeah, I guess reasonable doesn't really work for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was Val's persona. That's not, those weren't her beliefs, but those were the beliefs of Demosthenes. And, you know, those are always doomed to fail, you know? I mean, right. obviously, the more logical middle-of-the-road candidate is going to win the 2016 ele- Wait a second. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, yeah, Orson Scott Card, you, you biffed it on that prediction, my friend. For sure. <laughs> the world got behind Demosthenes. Now, while this is going on, uh, a year passes, and uh, Ender has moved on from Rat Army, and he is now in Phoenix Army, and he's actually the leader of a tune with Petra as a commander. But at the same time, he's just fucking great at being a commander, and he's winning. He wins every time. He He doesn't lose. No matter what they throw at him, he doesn't lose. And it kind of is just, he doesn't want to do it anymore. He, it's kind of starting to suck. Like, ugh, why do I have to keep playing this every day? Wake up, go to class, do a battle, practice at night, wake up, do a battle, practice, class. It's lonely at the top. Yep. And so Graf visits Valentine and asks her to write a letter. And basically he wants her to write what he wants her to write. Which she does begrudgingly. He, uh, doesn't he basically tell her that he knows about Locke and Demosthenes? And that, that is later. Yeah, that's, that's later. Much, okay. That's later. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's later on. But she yeah. was, a, she was just, afraid that that is why he was there. She yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. One, one day, Graf just showed up at her school and pulled her aside, and she thought it was because they had found her out, uh, but it was actually because they want her help getting Ender going again yep they want him to be rearing to go so she does write the letter but it's not sincere in any way and ender kind of recognizes that when he reads it and he kind of notices that he doesn't have any control over anything anymore he's he has control simply of his motor function and even that is under control in some ways now i i I believe they left it open-ended as to whether valentine actually wrote that or uh they looked at her previous letters that she had sent in and they just uh, imitated her style. I felt like she wrote, wrote what it. he wanted to hear. He felt like she wrote it. I felt like she wrote e- it. Even if it was under duress, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. I think that was the case is that she wrote it, but it was under duress. And so he knew that it wasn't sincere. Yeah. This was just another way to, to try to manipulate him into doing what they wanted him to do. So they've even stooped as low as to use his family, his sister against him. And basically he makes the breakthrough that uh, the officers expected of him. It kind of refuels his his hate for them and relights the fire 
and kind of gives him a uh, self-destructive side too. And it's shortly after this that they they form a new army called Dragon, and they explain to him that Dragon Army never wins. It always loses, and that's why it's not on the roster. Every time they've ever had Dragon, it just loses and loses. And they put, he doesn't get to pick his soldiers. They put who they decide is going to be in this army. They form the army, and they don't allow him to make any trades, any transfers, because that's how uh, other armies kind of adjust for their their shortcomings as they make trades and bring new folks on. But Ender will not be allowed to do any of that. He just has to make do with what he's been given. And also, he's not allowed to have those informal practices anymore. And the only practice he does can be with his own army. He can't be practicing with players from other teams. And uh, one of the one of the kids that they put in his army essentially has Ender doing to him what he hated about what was being done to him as he was coming up. He starts being mean to Bean. He expects a yeah. lot out of him. This little boy named Bean. Yep, he pushes him. He commands him, makes commands that he can't technically make. Bean's a cocky little sucker, though. He is, and he's good, and and Ender recognizes that in him, and he he battles back and forth with himself, like, why am I doing this to him? And yeah, he like catches himself giving him a compliment in front of all the other uh, soldiers, just like he was complimented by Graf uh, not that long ago. Yeah, because he knew it would make them hate him. And he realizes that kind of mid-speech, but he can't backpedal now, or else he would lose his uh, his footing as a as a commander. Can't can't show weakness. And it's at this point that they start bringing in those unfair games because earlier when they talked about them, they were just running simulations to see which ones would be the worst. How? What are the unwinnable versions of this battle? How can we set the stars up? The stars being those uh, blockades that they have or those little places of cover throughout the room and they are putting all the stars on one side or they're they're placing them in big clumps they're starting the game early to bring the other team in early and making Ender's team start late they're and he's still winning he still wins no matter what they throw at him he's still able to figure out what to do and win and the biggest thing that they're doing is they're giving him a lot of battles without much warning, without prep time, and like even two in the same day, and just pushing and pushing and pushing him. And Ender is using a lot of tactics where he's he's willing to sacrifice people to to get the job done, like put people in places to block laser fire so that other people can get through to win. And he's using that tactic quite a bit, even to one point, I, I believe it's during this time that he does the... Uh, I know it's in the movie and they do it here too, where they surround people with other people. And so basically all the ones on the outside are just getting shot over and over again. But the people on the inside, (laughs) the soft shell on the inside are, are safe and make it all the way to the other end. And they're able to just pop the door and get through. And at that point, that's that's the last battle. That's the last battle that he goes through. But they changed the rule at that point too, where they're like, no, you have to. <laughs> okay, new rule. Yep. Now you have to eliminate everybody on the other side before you, have to you eliminate open the everybody. Yep. You can't. <laughs> you can't make it through the door without eliminating everybody. But in all of those unfair battles and all of this stress that he's going under, Dragon Army does not lose a single match, and that is just turning up the heat on 
the students from the other teams. And piss, yeah, they're getting pissed off. They're sick and tired of it because as far as they're concerned, Ender's a piece of shit. He's not worth it. He's not as good as they say. Even though they're getting their ass handed to him left and right by this kid, they still are acting like he's not that great. Well, the exceptional, the most exceptional is always going to be envied by the rest of the world, don't you know? Right. I mean, look at our last president. (laughs) He was so (laughs) exceptional. He was the most exceptional, and that's why everybody envied him. I mean, I mean, <laughs> look at how people talk about Tom Brady. I mean, he's right. one of the best football players ever, and there's probably more people that hate Tom Brady than than are fans of Tom Brady. You say that, and a lot of people say that, but all I ever hear is people slobbing on Tom Brady's knob about how great he is. So I, I've you never know, actually you heard know the who hate. Was, you know who was one of the, the most prime of those people slobbing all over Tom Brady's knob? Yeah. Was, <laughs> <Former> president? <laughs> was Donald Trump. Yeah. Because, oh, God, Trump has just has this natural bent to, towards... Like, he just wants to be among the elite in the world. You like, surround yourself with the people Even though you he's a gold-plated be. turd, he just yeah, he surrounds himself with influential people. Like, like back in the day, the Clintons, uh, all of the Hollywood stars, like all these people that Trumpists today are like, Holly Weird and the liberals, whatever. Trump was among them. He wanted to soak up in their... Like the praise that they were getting, be one of those elite. And that included Tom Brady, one of the best football players ever. And he would always be like tweeting about uh, how cool Tom Brady is and what bum, what a bum rap he got for Deflate Gate and, and all that shit. And uh, Tom Brady, like after winning the Super Bowl during uh, Trump's period in office, uh, he declined a visit to the White House, like saying that he had to take care of a, his mother or something. He had also declined a visit to Obama's White House back in the day, so it wasn't necessarily a, a slight on Trump back right. then. But um, his team now, hit, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, they won the last Super Bowl, and their visit to the White House was like last week or two weeks ago or whatever. And he actually made it this time. He went in and uh, and talked to President Biden and. Uh, with the rest of the team and everything and like he uh got up and said some words being the uh the celeb on the team or whatever they give him the mic whatever and he says that he he still can't believe that he won and in fact like 40 percent of the country still doesn't believe that he won you know what that's like mr president (laughs) (laughs) but it's like yeah i know what that's like (laughs) and he said how like he forgot he forgot the down in one game, like in 21 years of play, he forgot one down and they started calling him sleepy Tom. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Why would they do that? <laughs> so yeah, to, to just completely diss Trump after Trump just wanted to soak in Bra- Tom Brady's glory. It was just, oh, it was beautiful. I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> it he made was me a, a Brady fan. <laughs> he's, he's a creative Donald Trump is a creation of everything that we have allowed America to become at this point right now. If that, if <laughs> yeah. that man had started at any level other than
than the one he started at, he would never have been anything. It's only yeah. that he had, you know, mm-hmm. money bags supporting right. him every time he fell that he didn't yeah. <laughs> become a complete failure. So it, and he made it his is name. He made his name on the world stage by being that Demosthenes style voice, like out in the public forum, yep. uh, telling the the conservatives and the the Fox Newsicans out there what they want to hear, reinforcing yep. their beliefs. And that's how he got the uh, the the persona of being the the right wing dude. Like I, I I don't I I don't think he believes shit. Like about no, politics. I don't think he believes anything. He, do, he doesn't I don't give a shit anything. about anything political. All he, the only thing he cares about is whether or not people think he's the greatest. That's it. Yeah, it doesn't what matter. What is going to keep the people yep. sucking his dick? Yep. If if killing seven million people would have made people like him, he would have done that. If anything that would have made people vote for him. I mean, that is simply what it was. It, right. It's yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there were like big discussions about whether or not like they could like actively like open fire on uh, people trying to cross the border. Right. Oh, for sure. And that, and that neo-Nazi Stephen Miller back here, like shaking, like nodding his head. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I guess Fox news just had a thing where Sean Hannity said something about, you know, getting a, va- getting the vaccine is good. Right. And then daily show or someone was like, look, even, you know, Sean Hannity on Fox news is saying it's good. And as soon as the opposing side said that Sean Hattie said it was good. He came out with a detraction and was like, or a retraction, I mean. And he was like, I never said it was good. If you got a working immune system or any immune system at all, you don't need to get the vaccine. Ah, like, dude, like, how, how weak is your ego that you just, I don't know. Like, they don't even understand how weak they look. If you feel like, if you feel like you have to tear other people down it's one thing to rib people gently rib or make jokes or here and there or you know talk about things that are just facts of life and that but if you feel like the only way to get ahead in life is to be like constantly tearing at reality and like tearing people down you're weak (laughs) you're weak (laughs) and it's it's all over you when you do it Anyhow, I was gonna say, that um, doesn't do guys, this. That's been that's been don't don't get us started. Yeah. Don't get us started. Yeah, yeah. Let's get back to the book, you guys. That's that's why I want to talk about. I want to talk about the book. I don't want to talk about politics. Josh is like, I have poli- no opinions. I no, I just I don't want to talk about the the failure of the last four years anymore. There's nothing. Nothing's gonna change it. It's past. We got to get over it. And we're where are we at? And we're gonna try you can't to make ignore it, things make it better. I'm not ignoring it, but this is a book podcast, not a politics podcast. Yeah, no, it's a book podcast about politics. Mm, not so there's much. politics in this book. There's, yeah, there's po- <laughs> we're literally talking about people are doing similar things in the book. It That's is true. What's but you yeah, guys it, just went on for about <laughs> ten minutes about nothing in the books, and then you kind of loosely hey, tied it hey, back. I so. had to listen to you motherfuckers go on for like fifteen minutes about TV shows <laughs> and right. whether they get yeah. season twos. <laughs> we're allowed to go on tangents, Josh. I enjoyed that conversation. <laughs> In a podcast about Harold and the Purple Crayon, like somehow <laughs> twenty minutes later, I'm hearing about Invincible. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good show. If you haven't seen Invincible, watch it. <laughs> I have seen Invincible. I have watched it. It is good indeed. Anyways, where were we? 
So we are at the part where Ender is studying the footage from the previous campaigns against the buggers from the first two invasions. And he's noticing some strange things about the footage, namely the fact that they keep on showing Mazer Rackham. He goes in to attack and then all of a sudden it's just dead buggers there. It's all videos of Marines getting on ships with dead buggers. Everybody, they're all finished. There's no footage mid-battle, no footage of actual like hand-to-hand combat. It skips kind of uh, the meat of the <laughs> the second invasion. Yeah. And Ender lets Bean know that he's he's getting frustrated and he just doesn't feel his mental state is any good anymore. He He's... He's becoming defeated in a way. And doesn't he kind of like commission Bean into like having like a secret uh, tune or something where he's, he kind of has him as a, uh, come up with, with strategies. Just wild strategies. Just wild, based on if, like, if it's stupid, then let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. If it's ridiculous, if it's crazy, if it's stupid, we'll do it. Yeah, like anything he is, goes. <laughs> he's just about done with the game. It's not seeing the point again. And it's because of the unfairness. It's because they just keep making it harder and worse and and crazier. And they're they're you know they'll get there, and the other army will already be positioned inside the room, aiming at their door, waiting for them to come through. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely impossible odds that they're putting him up against, and he's tired of having to try and figure out how to do it, even though he keeps on winning. Yeah, I really like how the chapter ended. He thought of a half dozen ideas before he went to sleep. Ender would be pleased. Every one of them was. Stupid. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, General Pace ends up visiting the battle station, and we've not really heard from General Pace, but he's above Colonel Graf, obviously. He's a general. And he has a problem with what Graf is doing because he feels like all this solitude and all this pushing Ender to being it by himself is creating a dangerous situation for Ender. A lot of these other people with the commanders of other armies hate Ender. They want to hurt him. They they honestly want to fucking kill him is what it comes down to. And Graf is continuing to push Ender to keep to himself, to be alone, to not uh, interact with other people on a friendly nature, just... He's there to command and that's it. And no one cares about him. So he should just not try to be friends or care about people. Because when he gets out there in the real world, parents aren't going to be there to help him. Right. And Graf fights this and says, hey, listen, this has to go this way. And, you know, when it gets to the worst part. We'll step in if we have to, if we think he's going to die, but we need him to fight for himself. We need him to stand up for himself and realize that no one is going to help him is, yeah, what it comes down to. Ender Wigan must believe that no matter what happens, no adult will ever, ever step in to help him in any way. He must believe to the core of his soul that he can only do what he and the other children work out for themselves. If he does not believe that, then he will never reach the peak of his abilities. And this brings us to a point where uh, Bonzo, who has just continued to hate Ender more and more and more as time has gone by, uh, Ender has a, a pretty harsh battle and he goes in to take a shower and he's all alone. And then all of a sudden, Bonzo and a couple other guys show up in the shower room while Ender is soaping himself up. 
And essentially they're like, yeah, we're here to fuck you up right now. So Ender immediately going into strategy, he he realizes, hey, he's all soaked up right now. So anybody that tries to grab onto him is going to slide off. And he turns a bunch of faucets on to as hot as they can be, which starts bringing steam up in the room. He also goads at Bernard's soul because basically Bonzo. there's a bunch Bonzo, a yeah. group, or Bonzo, there's a group that show up, but he basically goads him and says, oh, it, would your father be proud of you for fighting, you know, for beating me up with all these people? Why don't you take me on one-on-one like a man? Yep. It appeals to his Spanish pride. Is that a thing, Andy? Are you, pr- are you, you know proud? what? I, I have zero pride so I don't, I don't know what he's talking about okay. yeah andy doesn't have any, andy doesn't have any <laughs> have spanish pride i've got absolutely all no of faith pride. in myself i am like only half spanish so maybe that's my problem that i'm oh, not actually yeah. from spain you didn't maybe get my the, mom's got that stubborn pride i don't know you didn't get the pride half like if i am going to fight someone i'm definitely taking like six seven of my boys with me you're calling me one kid harold <laughs> harold <laughs> this kid he's like half my size he's gotta die dude i'm I just <laughs> we're gonna this... wait for him to take a shower we're gonna get naked and we're gonna <laughs> well then that doesn't work Seriously. for what i was about to say <laughs> or scott card there is a lot of naked young boys in your book what are you doing <laughs> right right i i wasn't gonna go with the naked part but i was gonna say like you call me up harold I got this five-year-old. It's really irritating me, and I'm like, dude, I could totally beat that five-year-old up. <laughs> oh, I know you'd be down to <laughs> oh man, to lay the smack down on <laughs> Mike Harold. My kid just won't go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Calling up you and so, several other guys, we're just gonna jump them, and when they say, "Hey, it's bath time, Xander." <laughs> no, I will never do that to no. my son. <laughs> And I don't encourage people to beat up children either. It's just funny to say. <laughs> and we do not encourage Harold to beat up children also. No, no I would never beat up children. But yeah, Ender goes Bonzo into <laughs> going one-on-one with him. And Ender ends up whomping him pretty good. Like, it works out. Bonzo tries to grab him. His hand slips. Ender gets himself around. He headbutts him in the head, uh, like a backwards headbutt. And then he flips him around and slams him on the ground. And, and he doesn't. You know that like corkscrew attack that Dalsim does in Street Fighter 2? Yeah. <laughs> like he launches himself head first. Does, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Attack. Yeah. But that's kind of like what it is. One of those like off of the shower wall. <laughs> but he fucks Bonzo up. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Bonzo, you got knocked the fuck out. <laughs> Bonzo grabs him, like Ender, like jams his head into his into Bonzo's face, then like slips out of his grip, launches off the wall, kicks him like in the sternum and the belly, then slides underneath him and and nut like nut kicks him, gives him a good old Jean Claude, <laughs> right in the balls, and he doesn't realize it at this time, but he he killed Bonzo. Yeah, either that first uh, like he drove some bone fragments into his brain with that first headbutt or something. Which isn't a real thing. (laughs) It's not a real thing? That's not a real thing, by the way. But I saw it it in the movie Lionheart. So your nose, (laughs) your nose is made of cartilage. It's not, there's not like a hard bone spike that can be smacked and crack it into your brain. That's a old wives tale that you've seen in all these movies. It's also in, uh, what's that movie? Uh, Con Air. That's the whole premise of Con Air is that Nicolas Cage 
does that upward hand move where he like fucking mm-hmm. smacks him in the in the hand with the palm or in the nose with the palm of his hand and drives the his nose bone into his brain and that kills him. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. not a real thing. Yeah, I'm guessing there would be way more fatalities in like boxing and MMA matches if yeah. that were a thing. Yeah, if there was just some button you could push on a person's nose to drive a bone into their brain. <laughs> you know, and, and that actually brings to note, uh, do you guys know about Phineas Gage? The name sounds familiar. So Phineas Gage is the story where the guy was, he was uh, packing dynamite into a, a rock wall and he hit it with the hammer and the spike that they use or the bar they use to pound in the dynamite, ex- the dynamite exploded. It shot the bar up. It went in through under his chin and out through the top of his head and it cut his frontal cortex off from the rest of his brain and he survived. And Phineas Gage lived the rest of his life, which I don't think he lived a full life at that point, but he he did live for many years after that. And he had absolutely no control over his emotions or his moods or anything. He was just kind of like a wild card at all times from that point on. Hmm. Um, So, I mean, we're talking about a guy that had a metal bar go up and cut off his frontal cortex for the rest of his brain. (laughs) So I don't think that a nose bone to the frontal cortex is what's going to take you. (laughs) Josh, do you have something to say? Uh, it's gone now because I I was very entertained by that information about Gage. I was like, oh, Phineas, ah. Phineas Gage. Yeah, the moment's gone. The moment's gone. Because then I started thinking about uh, ass face from uh, Preacher because he tries to commit suicide but does not do it well, and then he's got a fucked up faith for the rest of his life. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> That, I mean, that reminds me of a, uh, I, I watched this YouTube channel called This Is Monsters, and there was this guy, he went, and, he went and murdered somebody, right? And then he tried to kill himself, so he put the gun under his chin and he fired, and the bullet went up and came out his eye socket, okay? And so he put the gun under his chin again and fired again, and the next bullet took exactly the same route. <laughs> he, he, he shot himself in the head like two or three times and by the time he made it to the last time uh the police had gotten there and tackled him the dude fucking survived and is in prison now <laughs> like, what yeah dude crazy that is nuts wow yeah yeah so anyhow anyhow bonzo's dead yeah from a sim from a simple headbutt <laughs> <laughs> yep ender is such a lethal superb killer that uh, he has taken up on so, but he doesn't realize it. He doesn't know that right now. And they uh, won't tell him that. They they don't tell him that. All he's told is that he just, he got graduated and sent sent home. And Ender is actually really upset by what he did. He, he didn't want to hurt anybody. He said, I didn't want to hurt him. Why why didn't he just leave me alone? And it it really messes up Ender when he has to defend himself because he's, he is so ruthless that he doesn't allow there to be a second fight. Uh, his only way out is to hurt him so bad that he won't want to continue ever again. He's Peter in the moment and Valentine in the long run. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the moment, he goes to Psycho and he's like, fucking kick your ass, kill him, get rid of it, stop the threat. And then afterwards, he's, is there another way I could have done that? Is there a better way I could have done that? Did I have to hurt somebody? I, I hate that I hurt someone. Yeah, I'm not sure if he wonders whether he could have done it differently. He just regrets that he was forced to do the only thing that he knew that he could do and kind of hates himself for being the killer, wondering if he's, if he's like Peter, just killing because he can. I'm the best there is at what I do. 
know what I do. Win with a headbutt. Now he ends up. They the, even after this happens, they put him into a battle that same evening, and they actually place him against two, two. armies at this point. <laughs> two armies at the same time. It's a handicap match, and he he comes out victorious. He wins it. Yeah, by doing that strategy of using a formation where there's kids on the outside, kids on the inside, and they just go straight for the gate and end the game by doing the ritual. And at that point, they tell him that it's time for him to go. He's done with battle school, and he's off to command school. Not pre-command, full-on command school. Now, at this point, though, uh, after after all this, he gets leave for a moment, and he's allowed to go to Earth, but he doesn't go to visit his family or anything. And this is this is where he... He just doesn't, he's lost all will to do this battling anymore. He doesn't want to do it now. Oh, fun fact. We also find out that way back in the day, he killed Stilson, that bully that right after he got his monitor removed. Yep. That boy died to also. Yeah. So. <laughs> Turns out that he had killed him as well. So he's now killed two people. All before turning 10. But he doesn't even know it. And so Graf again uh, decides to, what's the word? recruit valentine to get him back in the game yeah <laughs> he wants her what you did there <laughs> he wants her to uh to talk to ender and she's kind of thrown off she's like I, I mean we wouldn't even know each other anymore at this point it's been years we we haven't talked uh, none of our letters have gone back and forth. Uh, it's just, you know, I don't even know who this kid is anymore. But she does decide that she will go talk to him. And he's staying at a cabin on a lake where he's kind of secluded from everybody. And that's what he wants. He doesn't want to be around people. And he didn't even choose. He had been on the planet for like a month or two at that point, hadn't he? And he hadn't visited his parents or his brother and sister. He didn't visit any friends. He he just wanted to be alone in this cabin on this lake. He was basically being a kid. Built a raft. Yeah, he built a raft and he was just playing in the woods. Yeah, he was just being a kid because after all these years of of that, you know. And now this is where Graf lets her know that he knows that she's Demosthenes, right? Yep. Yeah. And he's going to let her continue, but if she doesn't go talk to Ender, then he's going to expose it. And after Valentine talks with him, she... You know, it's a it's a torn situation where, you know, part of her wants to be like, give this up, Ender, just come home. But at the other side of it, she knows that the buggers need to be defeated, or at least that she believes the buggers need to be defeated and that Ender is the only one that can do it. And so she does encourage him to go to command school and, and finish the job. And uh, he takes her up on her word and decides he will go back, even though he doesn't want to. He really still doesn't want to. But Graf kind of needs that. He needs him to do something he doesn't want to do because it means that he's doing it for the right reason, not because he just feels like killing a bunch of things. And Graf lets him know that, you know, the reason he's the reason he's isolated is to make him a leader. He can't mingle among the people he'll be leading because he needs to be able to send them into danger without worrying or or remorse for doing it. But the reason that he brought him back to Earth and had him speak with Valentine was so that he would know that Earth is worth saving still because the one person that he loves lives on the planet. And the connection that he has with Valentine is shared, like there's billions of those types of connections on the planet and those are worth saving too. And I mean, it works. It gets him to, it gets him to go. So they, they go to Eros, which is 
I believe Eros is an asteroid. It's some kind of like s- small planet, like a planetoid or yeah, some yeah. kind of small. It's like a dwarf planet, maybe. And by the way, <laughs> let's pay some respects to that poor uh, like shuttle uh, pilot or whatever. Like Graf has to take Ender out on to this uh, this planet that uh, they have to go faster than the speed of light. To get there and uh, like theory of relativity, they kind of explain here that like time will go a lot slower uh, in the outside like universe or whatever because they're traveling so fast. But like only a couple of months will pass for them, but it's going to be like years and years for like everyone back home. Right. So and this uh, this pilot had no idea what he was getting into. He just had to. Uh, Graf just had to use the the fastest ship available to get them to uh, to this place on Eros and kind of constri- conscripted this dude. And guess what, fucker? You don't even get to say goodbye to your family. You're going on a little trip. You live on Eros now. <laughs> yep. This is your life. This is your home. And you can't tell anybody about it. And by the time you get back, everybody you love will be dead. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> so I just binged it, and Eros is a near-Earth asteroid. It is about 21 miles wide. It was discovered in 1898 by astronomers Carl Gustav Witt in Berlin and Auguste Charlios in Nice. And Eros also made history in 2000 when NASA's near-shoemaker probe approached it, went into orbit around it, and even made a soft landing on its surface. So, Ooh, I could use a soft landing on my surface. Baby. So that date didn't go well? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not one to kiss and tells. At least not on a podcast, for God's sakes. <laughs> I guess the real question is, did you eat her ass? <laughs> I think that's a I think that's a little <laughs> bit too personal of a question. <laughs> so he is going to start his command school training on Eros at this point. And he meets a new person when he gets there, which it's one of the strangest meetings I've I've ever read about. It was odd to be sure. <laughs> it's kind of a uh, like a tropey cliche at this point, meaning meeting the enigmatic old master <laughs> uh, instructor or whatever. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what it uh, what it is here. Well, yeah, he just wakes up in the morning and there's some dude sitting <laughs> sitting cross-leg style on the ground in front of him. He won't talk. He doesn't move. For some reason, I imagined uh, Master Splinter for some reason. I don't know why, but in my head, Mazer Rackham was Master Splinter. So Yeah, so big reveal. It's Mazer Rackham. Yeah. Uh, yep, Mazer Rackham. Alive who was the hero 80 years ago during the bugger invasions. And, you know, it kind of throws Ender off. Like how, I mean, this whole thing, like Ender goes to walk past him and that's when the guy finally moves and grabs him. And then Ender tries to fight him and they, you know, he basically kicks the shit out of Ender and uh, Ender tells him, you know, you win. And Mazer says, do you need to tell your enemy when they've won? So it's kind of like he's basically showing him like there is no more. There hasn't been up to this point, but there you are further at a point where there is no sympathy to you at all. And not just that, but you're only the only instructor you have left is the enemy. Yep. You're only going to learn from the enemy at this point. I am your enemy. I will be running all the simulations. I will be running everything that happens from this point forward, and I will be trying to beat you. I will be trying to kill you. So Mazer reveals a lot of stuff to Ender, a lot of stuff about the buggers. 
He also explains that the reason he's still alive is because once he won against the buggers the first time, they put him on a ship and they sent him out flying at, uh, you know, near speed of light uh, for a number of years so that he would be able to come out of that and still be alive when they finally got a new commander to be able to fight the buggers. So basically he gave up his life. Not only did he risk his life to stop the buggers, he gave up any life he had in order to save the human race is the story they're selling. And this is when we actually find out a lot about the buggers themselves from the battle. Because he explains that once they defeated one ship, all the rest of the ships were basically dead. They were drones. Because these these are buggers. They They operate like a hive. So once the queen is dead, that knocks out all her drones. They're still alive, but they aren't doing anything yeah, anymore. They're, they're, they're just, just yeah. they're not functioning. They're drones. Yep. They don't right, have a they brain. They become brain dead. Yep. And this has been reused in like Star Wars Episode One and the Avengers. Yeah. And like Independence Day, you take out the mothership and- Kills everything else. Yeah. <laughs> everything underneath them, just the threat goes away immediately. Kill the big bad and all the little bad stop fighting. <laughs> convenient and he's kind of like this has kind of happened actually both times before with stilson and with bonzo he took out the the head of the beast the one that was causing him the most trouble he took them out violently and the others stopped fighting so i mean it actually happened with the people that he fought as well Hmm. that kind of just hit me almost as if he was led to those those points right kind of guided into that kind of strategy and he keeps on uh, mazer is being really tough on him and they're they're having multiple battles a day they aren't even trying to hold off on the battles they're one battle after another battle and they let him go to sleep and then they wake him up and they battle battle you know and uh it comes to a point where ender actually ends up like getting a nosebleed and he they need to give him a couple days rest and everything and then uh Finally, he uh, at that point, they wake him up or he wakes up and they're like, you've been away, you've been asleep for a couple of days, about time. Come on, you have a battle like immediately. And so he goes out and they let him know that this battle, all these other battles have been throughout space. Uh, but this battle is going to be a simulation battle of the bugger homeworld. And they want to know what he's going to do if he fight, fights against the homeworld. And they did introduce this mega weapon, this yes. thing that they called the Doctor Device. And yeah, and it, it's interesting actually how it works. Go ahead. Oh, I, I just, I'm to the part where they just call it the Doctor Device. It's a molecular detachment device. So it's, and it's a, basically a pun because MD stands for medical doctor. Therefore, MD device, doctor device, it was a joke. But Ender didn't think it was that funny. Ender didn't think it was funny. But I thought right. it was pretty funny. Essentially, the weapon, just whatever you point it at, it uh, generates a field that makes molecules fall apart. Electrons don't uh, hold together the molecules and... Uh, like it spread, it like has a, a sphere that spreads and every time it comes into contact with more matter that the sphere begins again. So you clump up a bunch of enemies at one point, set it off on them, cataclysmic damage. And they've used it multiple times at this point. And then Ender actually asks before this battle against the planet, if 
if the doctor device works on a planet, Mazer and is kind of like, whoa, dude, like crazy (laughs) idea there. But, you know, it's up to you. It's up to you what you're going to do to win, you know, so go ahead and try. So like, whoa, you would have to like be willing to do something extremely brutal just so that further fighting won't happen. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly what he does. He ends up sacrificing uh, pretty much all of the, the ships that are with his main gunner ship and he gets the ship close enough and he fires it on the planet and he ends up, it destroys the whole planet and all the, all the buggers stop fighting. And he's kind of amazed at the detail of the simulation, how, how real it looks. And this whole time he was told that it was Mazer Rackham, like adjusting the simulations and, playing the game again like the game quote unquote against him uh but yeah. and they also uh we failed to mention they brought back a, a whole bunch of his friends from from battle school oh yeah that to he be, had met yep. to uh, to join in on the on these simulations to command along with with Ender but yeah these simulations were getting progressively harder and harder and then we ended with the homeworld simulation and when Ender beat that one uh, everybody around him started cheering. Yeah, all the adults, everybody was loving it, and they end up coming up to him, and they basically they're like, "You did it! You did it!" You know. And it's at this point that they kind of let him know, and he realizes that none of this has been simulation. This whole time, he's been controlling armies of human beings and sacrificing them and throwing them into the onslaught, and then he has just committed a mass genocide on the buggers. He killed every last one of them. He's a killer and he wasn't aware of it. Nope. They kept that news from him and now he's been, yeah, he's just been wiping out this whole race of beings and he did not have any idea. Do you guys ever wonder like how many lives you've taken in video games? No, they give me the stats on GTA and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just wondering. Some games, but. I'm wondering how many people, how many of myself I've killed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. How many times have I died and how many lives have I taken? And I mean, I highly doubt that that is turns out real life, but (laughs) (laughs) I I highly doubt it. But I I have had that moment where I've thought about that before where it's like, man, this kind of fucked up sometimes, but it is just (laughs) a video game. Josh, do you remember that time? I mean, life is just a simulation. So I'm the only real person ever (laughs) in this universe. So. You guys are very well programmed. That's it's actually me. It's actually me that is the only real one. That's exactly what the program would say. Yeah, you're saying exactly what the program would say. <laughs> I know because you guys are just voices right now. You're not even corporeal be- corporeal beings. <laughs> you're, yeah, I mean, yeah, like if you're voices. so real, then how come I'm only hearing your voice? Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <sighs> Okay, listeners, we're going to put the question to you. Which one of us is is real, is the only real person in this simulation? Is it Harold or Andy? But wait a second. They're all simulated, though. I don't care. We'll we'll let the simulation (laughs) do the tally. Okay. All right, all you other simmed AIs out there, (laughs) we're going to put a poll up. Which which one are you all acting for? (laughs) Like, who's being put on the... 
on this Truman show of, uh, of reality here. Right. J- Josh, do you remember the time that we got that two foot bong and I, I cleared the whole bowl in one hit and then like no smoke came out. And then about 20 minutes later, <laughs> I was standing in the corner of my bed. We were playing Grand Theft Auto. I believe it was Vice City. And we were just like doing Rampage where we were running around shooting the cops and having them come after us and seeing how long we could survive. And I stand in the corner of my bed and I'm like, what the fuck are we doing, man? We're just (laughs) driving around, killing people. Oh, my God. And then I like laid down in my bed and slept for four or five hours. (laughs) Yeah, one of your weird crises. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Master Chief Launchy would do that to... People. Yeah, Master Chief Launchy was too much. Oh, college. Yep. Those days were great. <laughs> so, yeah, he uh, is upset and he goes and goes to sleep for a long time. Fuck all y'all, I'm going to bed. But eventually he does wake up. They wake him up. And while he was gone asleep, there was another war on Earth. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Peter was right. And so, yeah, basically um, his... his his crew's there to wake him up and tell him what happened, and they kind of half celebrate, half commiserate together. But yeah, it's it, it that's how that ends. And then um, the very end is the last chapter, Speaker for the Dead. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in Speaker for the Dead. Yeah, it's a long yeah. chapter. The chapters get progressively longer throughout this book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we shorten them fairly well, actually. <laughs> for this, this third yeah, part we, yeah, this we third burned part, through we a, lot yeah, a whole a whole lot of content oh yeah yeah but let's sum it up here what happens uh so essentially uh they start having battles on earth a lock in demosthenes uh or lock essentially takes over and at some point they they do realize it's peter and he is able to kind of bring Earth to a point where it's uh, back at peace again for the most part. Ender becomes governor of Eros, where they start having a, a colony to live there. And Valentine and joins him. Valentine joins him. She comes not out on to Not on Eros. They, uh, they launch off from Eros and right. find a, uh, one of the bugger worlds. Right, one of the bugger worlds. It's already been built up to start. Yep, yeah. to start colonizing it. Yep, for for the humans. And uh, while they're on the while they're on the uh, planet, uh, Ender heads off to to check one day in a helicopter. He's looking around and he notices basically the scene from that game he was playing, that fairy tale game. He notices the hill that was the giant, and he goes over the hill and he notices the playground and. As he follows along through this, he ends up getting to a point where he finds an egg of the buggers, which are called Formix, and he is spoken to- I don't think this book ever uses the word Formix, Not before that, yeah. Like, this knowledge that we're using from Wikipedia is- gained like in future books yeah there was another book yeah there's another they they start there the book se- at, there are quite a few I, didn't you say these he's still writing in this i series? think he's still writing in this universe yeah oh wow but yeah the but the bugger race is known as, is formally known as the formix yes 
And the, the queen is speaks with Ender telepathically and lets him know that the buggers, after they realized humans were sentient, they regretted what they did and they were going to leave them alone. But, you know, obviously the humans were like, fuck that. We don't know what they were doing. So went and destroyed them. Retaliation, baby. Yep. That's what we're good at. And Andy or, uh, Ender uh, kind of takes it upon himself that he's going to take this egg and put it somewhere to allow the buggers to come back to life, the Formix. Yep. And that's where the book ends. Uh, Ender and Valentine go off in search of a new home for the buggers to uh, to come back into into being. Yeah. Ender becomes an author. Writes some books, including one called Speaker for the Dead, which is... It doesn't say he like kind of informally starts like a religion or at least a religious practice where somebody acts as a speaker for the dead person in like a funeral rite kind of thing. In the next, yeah, something in like the, that. In the continuation of the series, yes. That that basically is what happens. It becomes a, a religion of sorts and Ender actually becomes more of a... They see him as something that they don't want to happen because they see him as a somebody a tyrant somebody who genocided a whole race which he did but they see him as the enemy rather than the the people in power that made him do it right there's also it goes into some weird stuff because they they give you a chapter of the next book at the end of this book and they basically explain that the reason so these kids we've noticed are all extremely smart right at a young age and doing adult things and they seem almost emotionless like it's tough for them to deal with emotion right and it turns out that uh they they did do some genetic alteration to the gene that causes autism and what it did was it basically gives these kids the focus and the you know, what we see, what people may see as the abilities of autism, like the whole Rain Man thing, like you drop 99 toothpicks on the ground. He knows it's 99 just from hearing them hit the ground. Um, But they removed all of the downsides, like the inability to interact with people. And the, so it they took all of the good things that can come with it, you know, the intelligence that can come with it, which is a misnomer because not all autism works the same. It, it's great in a movie to make it seem like it's all like that, but that's not how it always is. But anyhow, it's probably like autism as understood in like the 80s, 90s, yes, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Not what we know about it nowadays. There's right. a reason it's and, called a spectrum at this point. Right, exactly. Yeah, we know it's a spectrum now. But basically, yes, they did this to the kids, but it also has an effect on their health though they don't tend to live to be too old some of them do but not but it tends to not work out for most of them but yeah so that's that's ender's game that's the end of ender's game Woo! we did it we got we did through it, we it made guys it. Woo! and we will uh we will think twice before grabbing one of these long motherfuckers again <laughs> again this was I was under the impression that this was made as a children's novel, but actually it was not. It was made as an adult novel, and it just so happens that now a lot of children have a tendency to read it because there are kids in it. It features kids. So they think, oh, it's for me, but it's uh, not. (laughs) It's definitely not. (laughs) Again, within the first two chapters, a a child gets murdered. Yeah, and then another child later. Yeah. 
Yeah, these are all children. Yep. But it is kind of relatable to like the the young people who see themselves as a victim of uh of circumstances and also at as being more exceptional than the people around him. Like everybody wants to believe that they're there's something special to them. Uh, there's something that makes them better than everybody else. But at the same time, like they get picked on at school and uh, this kind of story serves as a revenge fantasy of sorts to, uh, to give them that, you know, maybe there's a way that, you know, I can, I can fight against this in a, in a forgivable manner. You right. Know, like I'm, re- I'm reading this, uh, this article that I'm going to post on, on all our, all our socials, titled Creating the Innocent Killer, Ender's Game, Intention, and Morality. It's a pretty interesting read, kind of in, in criticism of this, uh, this kind of morality that uh, Orson Scott Card is, is positing here. The only thing I can think of is that it might be okay to just live vicariously through Ender. Like, I'm never gonna, I, I, I will never be able to lash out at these people that pick on me, but, oh man, if I could, I would be, I wish I could, but I can't, so I'll let and- Ender do it for me, that type yep. of thing. And he's always, he's always the, the sympathetic figure in all this, even though he is uh, the only person who kills anybody in this book. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. He doesn't enjoy it, though. That's the big thing. Yeah, as long as he doesn't enjoy it, okay, we'll let him get away with it. It's not like somebody who's like, <laughs> I joined the military so I can kill people. Like, that's not the right reason. Right. <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not a good reason. I think I read something that, the like, Marine in the Marine Corps, it's part of their reading list. Wow, that's... I don't know what to think about that. The U.S. Marine Corps professional reading list makes the novel recommended reading at several lower ranks. I guess I didn't think that they gave them reading assignments. (laughs) For providing useful allegories to explain why militaries do what they do in a particularly effective shorthand way. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. Messed up. (laughs) You know, there's there's a an ideal world where that stuff doesn't need to exist. And then there's the real world where it's going to be a while before that stuff doesn't need to exist. It's not going to happen in our lifetimes or, you know, that of the next who knows how many generations lifetimes. But I have hope. I am an optimist about the human race as long as we don't kill <laughs> even ourselves after just off. saying that. The, the, even after saying what you just said. Oh, dude! The, I mean, the, we're, the talking, defeatist we're talking. We're talking. We're talking like twenty thousand years or fifteen thousand years of human beings doing this to each other. I don't see any reason that we aren't going to make it as yeah. long as we can come. Yeah. It's easy to be, look at the world right now and be like, uh, it's all going to fucking end. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, you know, they were saying that 15,000 years ago, too. The world is going to end every generation, but it doesn't. So mm-hmm. I honestly believe that I have more hope for humanity. I think that we are slowly but surely making a lot of progress. It's hard to see that progress in the moment. But, I mean, if you compare what we're like today to even 100 years ago, we're light years ahead at this point. So it just takes time. I mean, even look at Orson Scott Card in the 1980s. Now, he's still homophobic as he is, right? But in the 80s, that was fine. It was totally cool for him to be that way. And all the way even in the 90s, it was cool to be that way. Even in the early 2000s, it was starting to die out. But now... You know, I mean, yeah, there's still a bunch of homophobic people out there, but for the most part, I I don't know many people that I personally don't know many people that are like, oh, in fact, people that I remember (laughs) 20 years ago. Because nobody makes that noise. Well, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. 
20 living years, your simulation. 20 years ago, <laughs> people that I know today that were like, oh, you know, gay people, oh, this and that, oh, oh, you know, all that nonsense 20 years ago today are more likely to be like, yeah, man, live and let live. I don't know why, like, there shouldn't be a problem. And we need to allow people to be able to change like that. See, that's another problem, too, is that people are so set on this. Well, 20 years ago, this person said this. Yeah, well, that was 20 years ago. That's a fucking lifetime in some ways. You know, I mean, if I was the same person I was 20 years ago, I wouldn't be able to sit here and do this podcast and have any kind of thoughts on the level that I do at this point. I was closed-minded. I had a lot of personal beliefs and ideas that just aren't right, you know, and they've changed. So we need we need to stop. We need to also stop judging people on who they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because people can change contrary to popular belief. And I think that as time goes by and as generations get older, I mean, I don't think our kids are going to be saying and doing the things that people in our generation were when they were 15, 16 years old. I mean, the F word and I don't mean fuck was a pretty common term when I was 15 or 16. And yeah, always used as an insult. Yeah, always used as an insult. But it's a very it was a very popular insult in the yeah. in the playground, in the schoolyard. And you might hear it now and then still, but even when I hear it now, it's it's cringy, you know. I don't think of it the way I did back then when I would say it every 15 seconds, you know what I mean? And I right. said it. I said it all the time back then, but I don't think that we need to judge. You can judge me on it if you want, but I don't say it anymore, and I have good reason not to, you know. I mean, shit, if Eminem can, the album before this, uh, well, he released two recently, but the album before the last two he released, he said that word, right? But he blanked it out. He actually censored it, right? And then since then, he's released two albums and not used that word. And that was one of his <laughs> most popular words. If he can stop saying it, you know what I mean? I think that means something. And you got to be able to look at that as like, okay, recognition, understanding, moving forward from here. I don't think that we should hold people to everything all the time, unless they hold that belief to the dying day. You know, clearly people like Raul Dahl held his beliefs up till the day he died. Orskin Scott Card is still making these statements oh, to this day. Oh, he's gotten worse. He's, <laughs> he's yeah, now he's becoming worse. more public with it and right. is becoming a conservative error bag like most of yeah. them do. So absolutely hold that against him if he's still holding on to it. But if he had changed that thought process from 1984 to now, you know, I don't think we should be able to understand that he did it but that to judge someone on who they were 20 years ago 30 years ago i have a great author example of this uh one of my favorite series is the dresden files by jim butcher and a lot of people criticize him for his the first few books and he was like yeah i wrote those in college in the 90s yeah he was a little bit uh misogynistic back then but you know what he's changed over the years he's a better person now <laughs> he's yeah. like yes if you go back and read them yeah they're very yeah they are very cringy he's very much the knight in shining armor type 
uh, person. But yeah, in Tom his more those. recent books, he has a female apprentice who uh, is, you know, not she. Um, they, I don't know if they've come out and said it, but they, she puts off a lot of like alternative vibes. So I don't want to say that she's anything other than she puts off a lot of alternative vibes. Like she has like dyed hair and a lot of piercings and things like that. But they haven't gone into any other details, so I don't want to go and say that she is something that she's not. So I just it seems like he has changed his view and he's come out and said, like, yes, it was very bad at the time. And I've changed my writing style to accommodate the time periods. So right, his, not, his writing has matured immensely over that time. So it's not right to pretend that doesn't exist because we don't like it, though. You know what I mean? Like it exists and it's a thing and you can even look at it today. It exists to ignore it or to pretend like it should be shoved aside is not a good idea either. The same people that want to squash those types of art or squash those movies or songs or books or whatever it be are the same people that would say it was bad for the Nazis to burn books, you know, so you can't have it both ways. The fact is that stuff happened. It existed. It's a product of its time. We got to accept it. I think it's going to keep getting better. Hopefully it won't end up where we're training children to be genocidal maniacs on other planets. <laughs> but that's always a possibility. I mean, <laughs> again, my state is on fire. So yeah, but that's we'll, not. We'll see if there's a planet here in 50 years. The planet will be here. Whether or not anyone exists on it is another story. <laughs> right. <laughs> Will it sustain life? <laughs> or will a Dr. Device come and just blow us all up? Nobody right. knows. I'm going to have to talk to the, the programmer who uh, who wrote my simulation about that because I don't like the direction the simulation's taking. Yeah, tell, tell him I want, I want to have a better life. I don't see how this helps. <laughs> uh, sl- slight side note: there is a movie. There's a movie coming out with Ryan Reynolds where he plays a uh, NPC in a video game, and All right. it seems like it's a, like a Grand Theft Auto style game. And I don't know how many times I've been like, imagine if we were just a character in this game. <laughs> how insane it would be! <laughs> and that, then yeah, I've a seen movie. trailers for that for a couple of years now, but I, I'm assuming yeah. they've been waiting to get it in theaters. You know, Andy, yeah. but I just want to say that that's how I know that it's my simulation because I find <laughs> it extremely intriguing and a learning experience. You don't like the way it's going. You want to see if you can get it changed. I know that it's teaching me something. That's how I know it's my simulation, not yours. That does not compute. It wouldn't because it can't compute for you. That's not in your programming. You guys, I know how to solve this. I'll just Error. tear out all of your eyeballs with... <laughs> <laughs> with something and that way we'll see who who can actually still see <laughs> and then that will answer who has the simulation i mean it's, cl- it's clear to me that it's me because i see everything first. in descending <laughs> green code you know <laughs> <laughs> he is the one like sushi re- sushi recipes <laughs> yeah. that is what it is <laughs> So, all right. Well, I think it's about time to wrap this up. I think we've gone on every spectrum of. Um... Well, I was going to say, would <laughs> you recommend reading this, though? Would you recommend reading this this book? You know, don't read too much into the lessons <laughs> that I, I guess, you know, see, uh, at the same time, I feel like it's trying to say some things like might makes right and get get them before they get you. 
But then, like, Ender has big problems with that, and as the direction he's taken at the end of the book is he wants to to fix that. So uh, maybe it's kind of a critique on Might Makes Right and Shock and Awe and, and all that stuff. I take it more as a critique because the protagonist of the story has a problem with it to the extent that they had to pretend like he was in a simulation because they knew that if they told him he was actually doing it, he wouldn't have done what he did. He would not have sacrificed all those people. Um, yeah. He so kept his morality through the whole. It kind of is Or saying, committed genocide. Yeah. yeah. It, it's kind of saying question the overbearing leaders question the government in a way um and if you were to commit this genocide you would regret it you know it, it would be a regrettable thing to do something like this that's how i kind of feel it, it's saying yeah but it is an imaginative sci-fi uh kind of extrapolation on where uh, where technology was going i mean there are certain things that uh foreskin card got got right and that we're all Picking our political leaders by internet now and uh, tablets, the desk <laughs> tablets, things, you yep. know, are kind of like tablets simulations. Yeah, we're running simulations in the military and yep. all that stuff. We're not playing zero G laser tag yet, though. But but uh, I don't see why we won't be at some point. I I have I assume that especially now that we've got three uh, benevolent billionaires who are all racing their asses to space every every couple of weeks. <laughs> it, that, benevolent, my ass. Yeah, right. <laughs> we will we will see at some point i imagine a different kind of space station that may eventually be able to create an artificial gravity through centripetal force at least something to get some of the people off of this rock <laughs> i still say that the moon needs to be turned into a launch base because if you launched a ship off of the moon you wouldn't need as much fuel as you do to launch off earth i'm sure somebody else has thought of this smarter than me but <laughs> it just seems like you'd be able to get further in space without having to use as much fuel. Of course, you have to get all that fuel up there, but there's a lot of helium-3 on the moon, so they could always make fuel there if they could figure out how to use it for fuel, rocket fuel. Anyways, yes or no, do you recommend this? Yeah, I mean, launching off the moon is definitely a good... Oh, the book! The book. <laughs> no, you know... I recommend launching off the, bu off the book. Yeah, I, I do... I did like the book. Um, if you've sat through all three parts of this episode, you don't really need to read it. But if I was going to say, um, between reading the book and watching the movie, read the book, the movie really dumbs it down way too far. And it is an interesting mm. book. So yeah, yeah. If you got the time, sit back and read it. Yeah. It's yeah, an it's, interesting it's a good book, book for sure. It's fun. I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely recommend it just because it, it caught me. I read it in what a week. I think I, I finished it well before all you guys did, but <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I devoured it. And then I learned you how didn't have to terrible, edit episode uh, one. <laughs> then, I, then I learned how terrible Orson Scott card was and I felt bad, but after I joined his goddamn fan page, Oh, I didn't join any <laughs> fan page, but I did go joking. online and see, and I was like, Oh, and then I read like the synopsis for the next book. And I was like, I think the takeaway is it's a problematic world. We are problematic people and problematic people can sometimes write interesting fiction. Right. Yeah. We have to be able to separate the art from the artists at yep. some point. And here mm -hmm. I am stuck in the middle with you, you know? That's right. All right. So what do we got lined up for, for the next week episode, you guys? 
I'm looking forward to next week. Next week well. we're go- we're going back to form. We're going back to young kid <laughs> books. Something that's easy to digest, uh, not too controversial. You're gonna love it. My teacher is an alien by Bruce Coville, who we have already heard that name come up in our last Goosebumps book. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, and Made a I- cameo appearance. I've already read the book and it is fun. It's just, uh, it'll be a fun one. Yep. Quick, easy, fun. Yep. Yeah. So that's next week on Reliterated. There will be no political questions, no <laughs> no uh, moral questions. <laughs> Just got to do our best not to get you started and then we'll be all right. <laughs> well, I mean, this was a pretty hot this, book to this me. a meaty book. Yeah, this book this book has a lot of oh, that yeah. going on. Yes. And there's nothing yeah. you can do to stop it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are other podcasts out there that can uh, distill a full-length novel into like a uh, an easily listenable hour-long podcast, but that is not us. Not at this point. Not yet. Not yet. We'll get there. Yep. <laughs> or we won't. Or we won't. And we'll just keep doing multi-parters when the book gets a little too uh, too heady for uh, for our own good. It works for me either way. Because we can always throw an intermission of a children's book in. That's right. Mm-hmm. Whenever I want to go out and do stuff. Explore the world. <laughs> Explore the world. I get to take the next break. <laughs> Technically, we all get to take the next break. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yes. That's right. We we are planning a sabbatical at the end of this chapter. Won't be too long, but uh, will give us a chance to breathe a little bit. But yeah, that's uh, that's in the near future. We got a couple books to get through before then. The next one being My Teacher is an Alien. And that's coming next week. So thanks for listening to our coverage of Ender's Game on Reliterated, brought to you by the Chocolate Milk Friends. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. Uh, give us some ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts primarily, but uh, you can also review us on, I believe, Podbean uh, or Amazon uh, Podcasts or Audible Podcasts, that is. Uh, You can also write reviews there. Uh, Subscribe to us. You hear our future episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or any podcatcher app that pulls from these sources. Keep uh, supporting your local libraries and independent bookstores. So until next time, give a shit, read some lit. Thanks, everybody. 